You're listening to the Project Horse Podcast. Horse training tips, Q&A, and horse business commentary from Jake and Luke of Lundahl Performance. New episodes go live every Friday with extras content throughout the week. To submit a training topic or question, hit us up on Facebook or email lundahlperformance at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Lundahl Performance Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke. We've got a couple different topics we're breaking down today in our Advanced Horsemanship 101, our continuing series in the second half of the podcast. We're actually going to be bringing you a clip from a larger kind of freeform discussion that we've recorded on the subject of lead changes. We've gotten a lot of Q&A questions about this, and we really felt after our last segment on lead changes in the previous episode that we needed to take a step back and kind of zoom out and just address a lot of our thoughts on the subject of lead changes and especially preparing to do lead changes well. We wanted to really sit down and address that in one big go. And so we've got a a separate playlist on SoundCloud posted right now which has that content in it. There's a couple of hours, in fact, of just, like I said, stream of consciousness discussion with both me and Luke on the subject of lead changes. If you're interested in delving into that, check it out. We'll be highlighting a little bit on the subject of counter cantering and one of our favorite exercises, which is the cigar exercise in the segment that you're going to hear. And again, you can find the full thing on SoundCloud. But first off, we wanted to touch on a couple different exercises that are specifically for green horses. And I brought this up with you, Luke, earlier today. I I was thinking, why don't we touch on something that we used at the clinic and that we ourselves have used a lot in the past and in present with different horses, especially training horses that have problems where, sure, the passenger lessing, cruising around in the arena on a loose rein, very important step in establishing a foundation for a horse's career, getting that horse moved out and just, you know, on a loose rein, teach him to be responsible for maintaining, maintaining what gait you set him at. It's a crucial foundational step. Um, But the confused loping exercise is sort of a problem solving tool that we've also used for horses that want to duck and dive and weave all over the place. For some of those more bad-minded type horses that have really bad habits about the ducking and the diving, they're leaning and wobbling all over the place to the point of being out of control, we've made use of that exercise a lot. And so we wanted to touch on that specifically because it's it's a basic exercise, but it's something that not a lot of people get told about. It's kind of off the beaten path a little bit as far as troubleshooting and problem-solving exercises. But we wanted to reiterate the importance of the passenger lesson, passenger lesson and cruising on a loose rein before you try any of that, because that is something that a lot of people tend to skip over. They don't lope their colts out enough. And it's funny, it's not the recreational trail riders oftentimes that are most at fault. It's in our experience, 
that's the culture in a lot of show horse circles is to never really get young two-year-olds especially ever loped out enough on a loose rein um and you wanted to address this specifically of of the tendency to just sort of podunk around on a two-year-old for weeks or even months on end and never leave the jog and uh not really it goes back to something that we've had as a theme since episode one of the podcast which is Let's teach these young horses some responsibility. Let's get them moved out. Let's expose them and not mollycoddle them like that or create a lot of stickiness and sullen up behavior in a young horse. Right. Well, it, I mean, it comes back to when the horse's first experience with a rider on their back and and they're out in the open arena and you're giving them a job to do. Let's get the horse confident just on a loose rein on his own moving out especially at the lope like the younger they are the more crucial it is to have that solid foundation of a canter because it sets them up for success everywhere else they go like like you meant like we talked about beforehand about you know some programs that we've seen where they go and they take a horse from riding them in a tight little round pin and then immediately it's two to three weeks in the arena just the jog steering the horse around like they're always in control holding on to the horse mm-hmm. never on a loose rein every time the horse tries to run off or is scared they just pull it around and steer it so they're always constantly like i'm right here i'm right here i'm right here don't you step out of line i'm right here i'm right here i'm right here they never just turn the horse loose let him have his little mental breakdown oh i'm lost what do i do ah, you know go through that little phase of just being completely lost and not knowing what to do and then let him just find that consistency and find that rhythm because it'll make that horse so much more reliable and confident in the long run when he learns that just because you're not there micromanaging him all the time doesn't mean he needs to panic. Like He needs to take responsibility for himself, and you need to be able to just sit up there and leave him alone, and nothing's going to go to pot when you do that. And even when they do move into the lope, most of the time, it's the same type of recipe that was at the jog steering him around. Now there's never really a time where they just lope the horse on a loose rein, let it go wherever, let it duck and dive and, and hawk back to the gate and the, and it's buddies tied up on the fence. Like let it go to all those little escape zones and let it figure out for itself that there's no rest to be had over at the gate. There's no rest to be had over at their buddies. Like, I think that maybe is what it comes down to. It's almost like you being told, um, you know, when you, when you first get your old, old vehicle and it's some like old beat up clunker vehicle as and, your first car. Yeah. Yeah. And then your, your dad says, now remember, don't be driving that car, you know, below the quarter tank very, you know, very much like keep that, keep the gas tank at least half full all the time. Don't be letting it get to a quarter. And leave it there. And of course, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, whatever. And we just drive it and drive it and drive it. And, and we get really good at, you know, coasting into the gas station on fumes. Like we're able to time it out. Oh, the light came on. Well, I still got another nine and three quarters miles, you know, and that should be enough to get me into town and back once more and then into the gas station after that so that's you know and you're you get very good at like timing it and it seems like you always run it on e all the time you know even though you were told 
you weren't given really the reason why, but you were you were told what the problem was. Well, then, you know, later on, you're you're on a road trip or something. The car breaks down, and you take it into the mechanic, and they're like, "Oh, do you ride this? Do you normally drive this car low fuel, like around the E?" Well, yeah. Why? Well, it's your fuel pump. You, it's been that's really hard on the fuel pump, and you and you've burned that out. It's going to be a you know, $2,000, fix here. And like, oh, I guess there was a reason he told me to keep the gas tank full. And you learn that for yourself, and now it means something. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the same thing with the horse. Like, you can you can protect him and tell him, oh, don't run, don't run, don't run. You don't need to be scared. Just come to me. You don't need to go faster. You just find the consistency. Look, look what I'm showing you. And micromanaging with the reins. But the horse never learns it for themselves, so they don't believe it. Yeah. And so they carry that on for years and then you have like some, you know, six year old derby horse that, you know, you have to give a SETI vet just to saddle it and get on it for crying out loud. It, yeah. It's incredible well, where, yeah. you know, you start him out as a two year old and you get it loped out. You that horse finds out for themselves that they don't need to be all over the place and panicked and worried. And there's no rest to be had over at the gate like they learn that stuff for themselves. They discover it. And so it stays with those good habits, then those new mental patterns stay with them for the long term. Yeah, it's something we talk about a lot and we've mentioned a lot in the past. It's a core part of our program is setting the tone on a young horse for sure. And we've inherited a lot of the results of programs and people who didn't get a colt moved out, didn't ever pitch them away on a loose rein, didn't ever really see what they had and, and ended up creating a lot of bad habits in the process. I understand it It feels silly, and a lot of people don't like that feeling of sort of being out of control when you do that, when you do the passenger lesson or cruising on a loose rein. I know a lot of rainers and cowhorse people would never be caught dead pitching a colt away and just letting them cruise around the arena like that, or if they're, they're leaning toward the gate and they're zooming back there like a peregrine falcon, you know, um, or what you said, hawking back to the gate yeah. is another analogy. But it is or my favorite term to have to do with uh, the passenger lesson, just letting him lope around a loose rein is um, the old school. Oh, he's just he's waspy. He's a waspy <laughs> son of a gun. Well, it is true, though, that most two year olds that you get on, they f- it feels like riding chickens when you when you first get on them. They're darting this way and yeah. that and they're all inconsistent. That's just a natural progression that you have to go through exactly. get through that phase and then they find that consistency on their own yep and so now let's talk about an exercise that we've done a lot with training horses and and uh and even show horses that needed it well whether, it's a great you know it's well whether problem solving yeah or whether starting it's colts once you've got them moved out you know at the at the canner just cruising them around and then you've kind of established the okay, follow your nose, you know, using the fence and your nose is pointed this way. So just follow your nose, like super simple. Yeah. Well, now we need to actually start teaching it to steer a little bit. And yeah. so it's a great little exercise, kind of all encompassing to either fix a horse that's really leaning really bad or to introduce your steering and teach that horse to wait for you and be responsible and not, you know, take matters into his own hands and head off right or left, wait for you to tell him where to go. Yeah. I found this to be a really handy exercise with different problem horses that were really bad about leaning and ducking and diving this way and that. 
to the point where you almost couldn't get cruising done to begin with when I was retraining them. Um, there was a horse at our stock horse clinic that you made good use of this exercise with. So it essentially involves kind of like at the passenger lesson, you're pitching the horse away on a loose rein. You're asking him to lope off. And when he inevitably goes to duck and dive or anticipate darting one way or the other, you're simply taking a hold of him with the opposite rein and in a dramatic way, not, not jerking him around, but dramatic enough to get in his head and get something accomplished, you take him the opposite direction. You know, he comes up to the fence, you take him the opposite way. Um, you might even use the fence to kind of help you make that turn and go off right, the other right. way, go down the rail. You're basically letting him kind of track all or all the, all everywhere around the arena. And if he makes a decision to dart left, nope, we're dramatically going right exactly. in a, in a way that's going to get in his way and start engaging his mind a little bit that, Oh, you're up there and you're a factor. You know, you're not just tipping his nose gradually. Right. And like in a dramatic fashion, we're not talking about like reefing him around and pulling him in the ground or anything like that. Like we're talking, he's going this way, 90 degree turn, head off the other way. Yep. You know, and you can do this out in your field or in your arena. And it's called confused loping for a reason, because almost you as the rider, you don't even know where you're going to end up going anyways. It's all about turning the horse loose on a loose rein. And the idea is to keep the horse on a loose rein as much as possible. So as you're going across, like let's say on a diagonal across the arena on a loose rein, you have the horse pitched away, but and you know he's going to lean. Like they all will. And so as you're loping along and you feel him start to lean, let him commit to that. Like if you were following like a painted line on the arena sand, let him leave that four or five feet, then just use one rein to bring him back over to that line, turn him loose as soon as he gets back on that line. Once you get up to the fence, you you'll feel him leaning one way or the other, the whole time that you're approaching the fence. So as you get to the fence, you turn in the opposite way that he's leaning, and you can, you know, depending on how big the arena is, you might have to head down the down the rail a ways to get to the other corner and then head cut back diagonally there, or maybe you can just kind of do like a little screaming U-turn and head off to another point on the side of the arena. You know, it's kind of up to you. You don't, you, you in a way don't know where you're heading next, and at the same time, the horse doesn't either. And so it's going to teach them to wait for you rather than them always making the decision. They got to mentally engage because they don't know exactly where you're going to take them. We're trying to teach responsibility for speed and direction. And ultimately, the horse is going to go through a stage where they're always anticipating, trying to make their own decisions. You're constantly contradicting them, doing things that are counterintuitive that they don't expect. They make the decision to go left. You take them right in dramatic fashion. That's like, oh, well, clearly that was wrong. Um, and then they might, you know, eventually they'll kind of start getting on board with what's going on and they might start anticipating what you're wanting. So now they, they were thinking for themselves. Now they're trying to guess what, what you've got on in, in mind. Um, and then finally they just give up after enough repetition and enough of you doing the opposite of what they expect. They finally put up the white flag and basically become what we call honest, just open and receptive to whatever your suggestions are, not trying to take matters into their own hands and not trying to get mentally ahead of you and guess for themselves. Right. And the only way they do that, though, is if you're really diligent about pitching them away on a loose rein. And when they leave or they lean, like, say, on your straight line, you only use one rein to bring them back and then you immediately pitch them away as fast as you can. They're not going to learn anything. If you're always kind of semi there 
guarding the horse and protecting them. Like it's turn loose. Here you go. You know, almost a, almost a sink or swim mentality. But at this point, you should have the horse somewhat confident and lined out, uh, just, you know, as a passenger, just cruising them around. They should have a good enough idea with that, that, you know, if you're not problem solving, if this is just the general progression, they should have a decent enough idea. So it's not going to be a complete meltdown and rodeo. But then again, as you change the dynamics now and you actually start to direct this horse in a specific direction, you're going to have, you're going to experience a little bit of a, of a uh, blowback in a way to the training. Like you're going to have a setback. The horse, the lazier ones, they're going to get even lazier. They're not going to want to go anywhere. They're going to really lean. The ones that are hot and nervous naturally, well, now that you're trying to direct them and you're using a little bit more rain to tell them where to go, they're going to get more worried and they're going to start running faster. Like they're going to have a little mental meltdown like that, but that's just natural and all part of it. And if you do your due diligence turning the horse loose as much as possible, only touching them when you need to make a correction and then immediately pitching them back loose. The horse will eventually find where they need to be on their own and it will make them that much more confident in themselves that that when you turn them loose, they stay responsible for the direction and their speed now rather than just their speed. second half of this episode, as part of our Advanced Horsemanship 101 series, we've included an excerpt from a much longer discussion on the subject of lead changes that we just posted in a separate playlist on SoundCloud. So if you really want to get in-depth on this subject, check that out. We hope you get value from this and enjoy. And soften him up if I need to, but in the beginning stages, I just want to make the counter-canner on the right circle as easy and simple as possible. I don't want him to be thinking about me pulling on his face and getting in his road. I just want to think, stay on here, stay on the circle, stay in this lead, and relax. And if you can get one to relax, that's 90% of the game right there. Everything else falls into place after that if you can just get him to relax. Mm-hmm. So you lope your circle or two on your on your left lead, You know, however many necessary. You can soft him up, whatever. As you come to the middle, you shape him. You use that right leg to keep him moving forward, speed him up a little bit. You shape him with your reins so he's looking to the right. And then you just slowly and gently ease onto that circle. I don't want to just go straight, straight, straight and then dive off onto the right. Like you want it to just flow. You don't want to allow him, you don't want to create the habit of him ducking onto the circle or cutting it off. You want everything to be a smooth transition onto that right circle. And you just do one circle to begin with. Just lope him around. As you then approach the middle on your right circle, you shape him back the correct way. And then you ease him on to that left circle. And you could do, you could go back to a large circle to the left, or you could lope just a small circle for the sake of conserving his energy and, you know, saving your time. But it's it's basically you're putting him in that high pressure situation, that uncomfortable situation that he's not comfortable with, and you're exposing him to it, but only enough that where he's kind of uncomfortable, but not so much that he doesn't know what to think of it. Like you're exposing him taking him away, exposing him, taking him away. And you just do one circle, then back to what he's comfortable with, left circle, left lead. Then one circle, counter, counter, and then back off of it, left circle, left lead. And you can do one circle uh, to to the left again, or maybe two, whatever, and then back onto your counter, counter again. And you just wean him onto it with that one circle. If you do more than that, especially early on, they it kind of mentally just drains them and wears them out. I mean, it's difficult enough for them to do physically as it is. 
and they get very uncomfortable with that. And so then mentally they get really frustrated and tired and, and resentful about it. So you just do one circle and teach them that, Hey, you can do this. You can lope on the, on the wrong lead and be relaxed and not try and break down or change leads or whatever. Like you, they have to be shown that they can physically do it. And then it becomes easy for them later on, but you just slowly add the number of circles that you do. You're never going to lope, you know, 10 circles in a counter counter, but you, you know, you add two circles and then three and then maybe four, but you slowly wean into that. And that's something you don't need to do in, in a week's time. You can spend a week, you know, two days, three, three sessions in one week, just doing one circle. And then, you know, you have other things you need to work on throughout that week. So you can't be spending it on that counter cantering every single day. Yeah. Then the next week you may start off your, your first session of counter cantering that week was one circle. And then day two of the second week, well, then it's two circles. And then you, you work on two circles for two, three sessions. And then the week after that, you pick up at two and then maybe three now, but you just slowly expand the comfort zone that they're willing to accept. And, as it progresses, like into the second week, third week, now you can start adding the element of softness, but you have to backtrack what you're expecting. I'm not going to go back now and expect him to be just as soft on the counter canner as he was the lope, you know, because now you're adding another element that's going to make it even more difficult than it already is mm-hmm. just loping on the wrong lead to begin with. So expect yourself to meet some resistance in doing that, and that's totally normal. So you just backtrack. You know, it's like you you step back in a way. You take a short term loss in the way he feels his softness for a long term gain. Yep. So in after you know by week three, week four, you've got it ironed out to where he feels just as good on the counter canner as he does loping the circle normally, left circle, left lead. Yeah. You know. Well, and the counter canner is always going to feel awkward to a degree, but I think the and and you mentioned before how we kind of use the the awkwardness to our advantage because the horse naturally wants to be in the correct lead on the circle. But the goal here is to just get him comfortable enough with it and build his confidence enough so that he's not worried. He's not constantly sitting there fretting and and wondering where the exit door is. And he's comfortable enough to maintain what you've put him in there uh, and not be trying to break down and, and all that stuff. To where now you can actually get him softer, work on your setups for the actual lead change, and and things become more productive. Um, that's that's ultimately what we're going for here. A lot of people use the counter canner to create a situation where you're making the horse super uncomfortable to then get him to flip into the correct lead. Whereas we we want to build his confidence enough that he will counter he'll counter canner again without sitting there fretting and worrying and. And, uh, you know, we're not we're not trying to overload and burn up the CPU. It's still going to be uncomfortable to a degree, but we do want to build his confidence with it because we need to get him soft and and able to shape the and set up for the lead change correctly. We're trying to get him trainable so that when we actually do go to the lead change, you know, he's we should at that point have him, you know, like physically it's difficult to do, but mentally he's become comfortable being handled on that counter canner. And so that's one less thing that we have to contend with when we actually go to the lead change itself. You know, we'll see that all the time where the counter cantering is merely there just as a means, like you said, to make it uncomfortable so that they they're searching and searching and just kind of, 
luck into that lead change because mm-hmm. they just want out of it. Yes. I mean, obviously it works, but you know, I would rather use it as a way to slowly introduce it in a way that gets them comfortable with it to where that eliminates, it builds a confidence in another area that pertaining to the lead change. And once I've got their confidence there, it's going to make my job much easier. If I have control of them, good, confident control at the counter canner, well, then once I go to the ch- to change leads, it stands to reason then that that's just another um, support pillar in a way that I can maintain this horse's trust in this maneuver, and I won't you know wreck his confidence. The mm-hmm. more control I have with aspects of it, like the counter canner, he's confident and he's controlled, and I can handle him. Well, then you know theoretically, if I push him out of his comfort zone or you know, we go to change leads and it really is a culture shock. If I have a really solid foundation of control and confidence at the counter canner, I have some at least to fall back on. Yeah. You know, if it's just built on make you as uncomfortable as possible. So then when we do change, you, you know, you're looking so hard to find some way to get out of it that you luck into the lead change. I really don't have a uh, any foundation to fall back on when I go into the actual you know, lead change itself. Yeah, exactly. That's the point I was driving at. And so then naturally the counter canner, um, once you've refined that to a degree to where you're able to shape and soften the horse a little bit more, now we can start getting into things like the cigar exercise, which is probably the most important exercise you can carry the counter canner into and really make it work for your benefit actually. And, uh, and in effect, Practicing lead changes again without actually changing leads, right, literally. Right, exactly. It's the the cigar exercise is a great one for setting your horse up for lead changes, and you're teaching it before you actually change leads. But it really pays dividends later on when you have actually asked that horse to change leads, because then it's a way to come back, and naturally they're going to have anticipation that's coupled with learning that lead change. Yeah. So the cigar exercise allows you to shape the horse, set them up for a lead change where everything feels like, okay, we're changing leads, but it's really just a simulation. And then when you get to the fence, you turn the horse off of the counter canner onto the you know correct shape for that lead around the corner. Then you set them up again. So it's like set up, set up, set up. No, don't change. Set up, set up, set up. No, don't change. Set up, set up, set up. No, don't change. And it gets the horse to just relax and quit anticipating every time you set him up, there's going to be a lead change. So I'll try and draw out a mental picture for the parameters of this exercise as best I can. Um, it's like the cigar exercise. So imagine if you had like a gigantic cigar in your rectangle arena and you laid it down like diagonally across the arena. Not quite corner to corner, but, um, oh, I don't even know how to describe this. It's going to be difficult. So just kind of offset a little bit, offset like rotated corners. slightly. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so I want to set it up so that as I come into the fence, um, of the towards the towards the fence with the horse, I turn him onto the lead that he is on, away from the fence toward the bigger opening in the fence. I don't want to turn him into the fence in like a rollback. I'm always turning away. From the fence. Yeah. As I come in, I'm coming in at a 45 so, degree angle to so, the fence. So let's say you're loping down the arena. Uh, you're you're um, in the right lead. Mm-hmm. So, or no, you're in the left lead. And so you're setting up once you get to the corner, theoretically, you're going to be turning onto the 
Onto well, not it. so much for the corner, but I would say like 30, 40 feet before the corner on one end of the arena and 30, 40 feet before the corner on the opposite side of the arena. Right. Is... So so you're not really approaching the corner head on, but you're approaching that part of the arena in a way that on your right, the fence is closer than it is to the left and the front of you. So in other words, you'll hit the fence on, on your right or come very close to it and there's still an opening yes. ahead of you and to the left that you can make a circle in. Exactly, basically. exactly. And so as you approach, as you, let's say you've rounded the corner on one end of the arena, and now you're heading to your point across the arena, again, you know, 30, 40 feet before the corner of the arena, and your turns that you're doing are fairly tight. You're not doing a big screaming U-turn. I mean, um, you know, you want no more than uh, 20 feet separating you know, that's at most 20 feet separating the two tracks that you're creating going from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. And so as you, after you've rounded the corner and as you lope straight across the arena towards your point where you're going to turn again, you set the horse up in a counter canner, basically. So if he's on the left lead, you shape him to the right. You use your right leg to engage him, hold him in that lead, but you shaped him to the right, like a counter canner, like you're going, like you're setting him up to change leads. Yep. But then as you approach, as you get to the fence, you reverse that shape. You shape him back onto the lead that he is on. So you shape him now back to the left and you soften him up as you round that corner. And then once you've got him straight, as you bring him straight, you shape him back into a counter canner as you lope back down the arena towards the opposite fence. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then at, once you get, once you approach the fence and you begin your turn, you shape him back onto the correct shape for that lead. So left, left lead shape to the left, you round the corner. And then as you bring him back straight to go down the arena again, you saw, you shape him back to the right, soften him up, obviously, and you counter counter him on that straight line as you go. So you're setting him up for a lead change. You're setting him up, setting him up, setting him up. And as you get to the fence, you shape him back onto the correct way for that lead, round the corner, and then you go again. Mm-hmm. But you have to turn away from the fence into that greater opening like you talked about. So he's got some room to go somewhere. You know, I don't want to come, I don't want to invert this that we just explained to where now you are turning into the, because you're coming in at a 45 degree angle. So I'm no mathematician, but there's a bigger angle to your, say you're on the left lead and you're coming into the fence at a 45. There's a larger angle in front of you and to the left than there is behind you and to the right. I don't right. know what the heck it is. I'm not even going to go into that. But you don't want to be coming into the fence in a way that you're turning the horse into that tighter angle. It's always away from the fence, away from it. It's like everything needs to flow. I don't want to be turning a sharp, abrupt angle into the fence. Everything needs to be polished and like all, no corners. Everything's rounded. Everything's mm-hmm. polished and just flowing and and smooth. I don't want to be darting off left and right, especially when we get into this counter cantering on our circles or counter bending at the canter everything needs to be rounded and smooth i don't ever want to let the horse fall into the inside or dart left or right nothing abrupt no once again the clip you just heard was an excerpt from a much longer discussion we've posted to soundcloud on the subject of lead changes and our perspective on them if you're interested in going more in depth on that subject you can find us on soundcloud or find the link to that specific playlist on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening.
thank you guys for all your support on the Project Tours podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.